Well, I'm Bubba Jones. I'm a lifelong friend of Inye's. We've known each other as long as we can remember. And for as long as I can remember, Inye has been the most exceptional friend I've had. Of course, he co-chairs that with our other best friend, Richard Williams. I find that Inye is incredible at so many levels because he's effective. And I know a lot of people who can articulate the issues. I know people who can even talk about what solutions might look like. I know very few people who can actually go out, put forth an idea, make it real in the world, and have it make change. And because all of his change is about equity, he's not looking for a one-up for anyone. What he wants is he wants a level playing field for everyone to fully express themselves. And so in that sense, he is, you know, one of the, the greatest advocates for equity that I've ever known. All right. Welcome to another episode of Equity Rising with me, your girl, your host, Trey Holiday. Really excited to be bringing on Inye Wakoma of Wanawari for today's episode of Equity Rising. He's a clear equity change maker and has been doing this work for many, many years. Thank you so much for joining us, Inye. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's exciting. I always love having conversations with you. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You guys know we we know each other. We, we we're hey, we're building on that uh, that that sibling love. So I appreciate yeah, yeah, all that you've done out yeah. here in the world. And, and and we love on this podcast to just kind of start off by asking you first things first. How are you taking care of yourself? Mm. Uh, you know, one I take I take uh, I take regular days off. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm past the time of grinding 24 seven. Um, and it, it has been necessary different, several different points in my life to sort of keep that pace. But also I was clear when I was in it that um, I'm trying to strategize on how to not be in it. So I feel like I'm at a point now where, you know, um, I take regular days off. I listen to my, I listen to my, uh, my spirit, my body. If it says, in the middle of the day, go take a nap. I go take a nap, right? Um, or if it says just stop and and read for you know for an hour or so, you know I stop. Uh, if I'm working, I'll stop, take a break. In fact, I I was just working. I just finished writing a document, and I just went out and I watered my garden. So I got a half hour. Let me go water my garden and hang out with some plants real quick before I get back up here on on this digital life. So. I think it's just, you know, something you got to stay on, you know, every minute of the day. So I agree. You know, I love what you said there, too, about your past the days of the 24 hour grind. I'm getting there, man. You get yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It takes you some planning, though. You got to plan for it. You know, it's That's almost right. like a, it's almost like a pre-retirement retirement plan. <laughs> you got to be like, listen, one day I'm going to be able to work four days a week. That was my goal. I said one day I'm going to be able to work four days a week. And, and I think I feel like I'm pretty close. Yeah. There we go. There we yeah. go. It's so important because I think oftentimes, you know, the work that we do really is it's beyond work, right? It's like our life's mission. It's like what we're here to do. 
and equity work and doing it in all the wide varieties that it gets done, you know, whether it was even known as equity work back in, you know, maybe even when you started, right? So much of it now is really lending itself to this kind of diary of equity folks doing amazing work. And you've been, you know, such an amazing artist, photographer, like community advocate, and, you know, you've done so many different things. And so I'm excited to utilize this time frame to kind of show a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do. I want to start from the beginnings because, you know, I know that you've done a lot of different things. What are some of the things that, you know, in the beginning of you really being a part of community and, and bringing your kind of, you know, maybe from teenage to adult years to say, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start really planting seeds in this way in my community. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it goes back to, to, it goes back to my childhood. And so I got to credit my, my, my parents and my, my grandparents, my elders, right, for bringing me up in a liberation environment, right? So, you know, my mom was, was constantly active, you know, in liberation work and, and my grandparents were constantly active in community institution building. And so I think for me, I don't know, even know if I can pinpoint a starting place. I feel like it was always there. You know, I was, I was interested in art from the time that I was a kid. You know, I got, I've got all kinds of little relics. I mean, we're, we're doing this conversation on Zoom, so you can see this, but the audience might not be able to see this, but I found this little pin that I made, like this little oh, wow. pit pin I made way back in like kindergarten. As you can see, it's me on a sailboat, right? So, you know, I'm a, I'm a nature person, so it's me. But also I got the red, black, and green sails, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, way back then, you know, obviously my parents had had, had drove the message home uh, what this was all about, right? So, um, you know, so I think you know, for me, it's it's been a lifelong, it's been a lifelong vocation that I think you know, I, I, you think back in the old days, if you was born into a family of cobblers, chances are you was gonna be a cobbler. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> chances are you was gonna go into the family business. It just so happens in family business is black liberation. And, and so um, that's, that's the work that I'm doing, but, you know, but you gotta, I gotta make it my own. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I am an artist through and through and a creative person. And so, you know, that's how I approach this, this work. I, I would say, you know, I started out, like I said, it's hard, you know, cause I, I I'm showing you, I showed you that, that one drawing, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I took up, you know, I took up, filmmaking you know when I was at Seattle Central Community College um, mm. took up photography I had a desire to do photography since high school but I didn't actually take it up until I got to college when I went to Clark Atlanta University down in, you know obviously in Atlanta Georgia and you know and then from there it's just been like a really super hyper focused thing you know uh, one part you know just really wanting to master the craft of the thing that I was deciding to do at the time that was, you know, photography first and foremost with film running, you know, alongside as a, a close companion and just being committed to that, right? You know, I, I believe that the work should be meaningful, but work can also be, you know, extremely, you know, beautiful and, and just moving on an emotional level, right? Yeah. You know, and so I always wanted to afford myself the ability to do that and sometimes you just got to master the craft you got to know how how a thing works you know what i'm saying yeah. so that you can do it in your sleep you know you can you can 
It's funny. I had, I, I, was, uh, I got all these weird asides, like story asides. So when I was at Clark, I had this accounting teacher. It's a weird dude, man. He was like a accounting dude, but you know, but like, if you just take some dude who probably was like an old, like Kappa or something, and then he went into accounting, but he still had that Kappa swag. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, but I just remember, it's funny the things you remember. I remember once I was in accounting class, he's like, y'all think this accounting stuff is hard. You know, it's like driving. When you first start driving, you know, you got your hands on the wheels and you're thinking, and the next thing you know, you, you got your seat leaned back, you're drinking a beer, and you got one, <laughs> one hand on the wheel. <laughs> Like, really? Is that what accounting's like? <laughs> but you know, he was making a point that if you if you commit yourself to something, you know, if you commit yourself to the discipline, you can master it, even no matter how much hard it, it feels in, in the beginning, right? So I ascribe to that philosophy in all things. Yes. You know, that that's really such a, an amazing point. And I love that you shared that story because I think, you know, when we when we think about okay. What does that really look like in terms of community work and advocacy and black liberation and equity? And really, you're absolutely right that we understand that immediately there are certain characteristics that we can identify pretty quickly when we have that, when when we've greased our wheels a bit like that. Right. And I'm really thankful because over the last few years for myself, it's been such a concentration of effort and really that kind of 24 hour round the clock, uh, you know, tireless days type of effort that I'm able to be where I am today. And I think that it always plays such a major factor in shaping up, you know, who you are and how you do the things that you do. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I love that example. It's a great example. And really, you know, you have done a lot of different things over the years. Uh, Just list out some of the places that you've been able to bring your energy to it Mm -hmm. before you landed at this effort you're in right now at Wanawari. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, well, I don't know. Let's see Well, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned, you know, growing up with my parents, you know, we, back in the day, I say the, you know, we used to have the Saturday Africa schools, right. Uh, which is, mm. was down here at the Atlantic street center on, on Atlantic by Massachusetts. Right. And, you know, so that, you know, in fact, Jace, Jace, you know, um, yeah. with you know, Jace, there's a whole crew of folks who's out here now who was was a part of that, you know, part of that scene back then. You know what I'm saying? All of, you know, and a lot of us went on to, you know, are still doing this community work. Right. Yeah. But, you know, so you now I would go back, you know, I take it, you know, all the way back there, you know, and and, you know, I and I say this for young people. Learning is community input. Mm. Right. You know what I'm saying? Learning, investing in yourself, investing in your knowledge, investing in your brain, investing in the one thing that my dad said, listen, one thing, you know, white folks can never take is your knowledge, right? You know, investing in that is community input, right? It, it, it makes you a community asset, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if I were to say, well, you know, what was my earliest input? I think my earliest input was being willing to, to you know, to be in those places where my parents said I needed to be, mm-hmm. right? Right. So I, I go back there, you know, coming forward, I ran for student government at, at, when I was at Garfield. Right. right I, still got, I still got some some of the paraphernalia from back then. I was the black student BSU president at Seattle Central Community College. When I went on to uh, go to college at Clark Atlanta University, I wasn't so much involved in um, student, any kind of student organizing when I was in Atlanta as much as you know, I invested my time in, in my craft 
and and I began to to document black life mm-hmm. in Atlanta as a photographer, right? So I have a I have a in fact it's interesting as a Seattle native, I have most of my photography, my 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 community documentation work is of black life in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I got to Seattle, I started doing some different things. But when I came back to Seattle, you know, I, you know, I've been a teaching artist since I landed back, you know, um, used to teach with Arts Corps over here at Garfield Community Center. I taught with classes with Nature Consortium at some of the different community centers where they were doing classes. Then I, I joined the Board of Nature Consortium, which is an arts and nature organization. Taught at Mercer, Asa Mercer Middle School, mm-hmm. right? Let's see. So, yeah, so, you know, really like just, you know, investing in, in sharing what I have with, with young people has been a big part of, of, of what I do. Let's see, one of the founding board members for Got Green, recruited by by the, you know, the legendary uh, Michael Wu, you know, you know, one of the most down Chinese brothers <laughs> you will ever know in life, like for real, you know, um, him and Doug Chen, yo, yo, you, you like, you can't, you can't fake the funk, you know? Um, so, um, you know, just old school, you know, old school Seattle labor activists, right. Yeah. You know, who were radicalized, you know, in, in, you know, in the school of, uh, black labor activists, right. And, and really took up that mantle and, and kept pushing that, you know, as their lives went forward. And, and so, you know, was really brought in by Michael Wu, which really, really did kind of get me back, you know, locked into Seattle organizing in, in activist circles as, you know, as an actual organizer activist, right? You know, I was, I was, you know, working as a media person and, a, and an artist um, primarily, but this kind of really locked me back into to those communities. And so, you know, from there, I was uh, one of the founding board members for the New Langston, and then obviously, you know, uh, one of the co-founders of Wanawari. So, so yeah, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a serial organizer, serial <laughs> organization builder, <laughs> right? You know, so yes, I mean, that's, you know, I would say just in terms of my, in terms of, you know, the work I've been doing, they brought me to this point, you know, all of, all of, you know, all of those organizations, when I was doing work with God Green, I came in and, and really, you know, helped them focus on, you know, what their, what their storytelling and and communication strategy was and, and how to use art as a as a frontline tool, you know, to do the work that they were doing. And so, you know, obviously, you know, that, you know, bounced me over to Langston, which is was all about the arts. And then Wanawari, which is a is a perfect hybrid of of arts and and organizing and activism. You know, of course we we our catchphrase at Wanawari is the house that fights displacement with art. Right. So it's not just an art space. It's a, we're, we're, we're land justice and, and land equity organization as much as we are an art space. Wow. I mean, just listing out uh, <laughs> yeah, how your energy has been used and wielded and how you've been so integral in so many things is phenomenal, Inye. Like, you know, I feel like I'm one of those people that gets to like benefit from your brilliance, right? And when we have our discussions and I'm like, man, that's right. I'm take that back to the team. You know, there's so much that you really bring to, to this body of work around, you know, Black liberation equity, just educating people and getting them to see themselves as a part of it. Because I think that 
that that's also really where we are right now when we talk about the time, you know, us going through a pandemic, you know, us trying to now go through this vaccination process and people getting healed and being well and, you know, shutting down the whole country and, you know, reopening. It's so, you know, unique in its own way, right? And I think so much of it is that there was a a real awakening of certain folks that were like, you know, yeah, the way our country is built just isn't right, right? And we have to start looking at it from a different lens. And you've been able to have that lens for years, for decades, clearly before many other folks in this country began to wake up. How has that been for you in terms of educating not just young people, but your peers on, you know, some of the ills, um, you know, of this country and what it looks like for us to really have black liberation? Like, what are some of the things that really stick out to you as you've had those kinds of discussions with people along the years? You know, it's an interesting question because it has changed. Like, I've seen it change like radically like a pendulum. I mean, amongst, I would say amongst my peer group, you know, over the course of my lifetime. And if I were to go all the way back, you know, like for instance, I showed you this little pen I made, a little artwork of myself portrait of me on a sailboat with the Black Liberation sail, right? And so what gives you, which gives you a sense of the kinds of things that were ever present in my consciousness and subconsciousness. But that was not true for a lot of Black folks in the community. You know, back in the in the even though we're coming out of, you know, black power and the black consciousness movements of the 60s and 70s. I was born in 1969, you know, so, you know, sort of coming of age in my own as a as a youth, you know, in the mid 70s, you know, and then really kind of coming as an adolescent in, in the early 80s. You would not really know from the conversations today that the things that we take for granted as foundational concepts in Black liberation thought today were really marginalized, right? You know, they were really kind of sequestered to to folks who were in, you know, either Black radical or Pan-Africanist or Black Marxist organizing and activist circles. And a lot of other folks in the community just thought, it was some crazy... Yes, right. You know, (laughs) right. You know, know, whatever. You know, I I could tell you some stories, you know, like, oh, okay, here's a story. This is a story time. Here's a story time. (laughs) Listen. Because, you know, I gave you a sense of what my, my mom, my dad's Nigerian. My mother actually radicalized my father, right, who came from Nigeria, right, and got his political education here in the United States. You know, um, and I, I like sometimes like to to parallel his story with the story of Fela, who who had a similar radicalization, you know, um, as an as an artist when he came from Nigeria and, and began to play in the United States in the 60s. Right. So so there's you know, there is a history of um, of black radical thought in America, um, radicalizing continental Africans who come come to this country. But that thought, you know, was was largely sequestered. And you had other folks who were, you know, who were. Um, who were, you know, as we would say, just regular black folks, you know, go to church on Sunday, you know, members of the deacon, deaconess board, you know what I'm saying, doing their thing right. And we're not in, in very much adherence to um, civil rights philosophies, right? Uh, and 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 sort of uh, black, sort of general black progress, you know, which in a lot of ways was, you know, kind of threaded the line between, you know, a sim- black assimilation, right? And sort of, Black empowerment, but kind of still in a, you know, in a Black Western model. Like we want to be like the Huxtables type of situation, right? You know, there was a lot of, you know, derision and, and ridicule when, you know, when you showed up 
you know, I show up on picture day, you know, to school with my, you know, with my African boo-boos and my, my big, you know, and listen, I had an Afro, but my hair has always been super kinky. Right. So I could have like a I could have like a five inch afro and it wasn't fluffy and, and angelic. It was like dense. Like <laughs> it was like it was like, woo, you know. Um, so but I would show up and you know, and I, you know, get, you know, I had a black name, African name and and big lips and a Afri- African clothes and 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 a, and a nappy fro. And you know, I was, you know, I was fodder for all kinds of jokes, right? So so I mean that that gives you a sense of what it was like in the 70s and, and even moving into the 80s but I used to have a lot of conversations in high school and, and folks were really interested and there was a beginning to be a shift slightly in the eighties, you know, interestingly enough, you know, the emergence of reggae music, you know, in, in the late seventies and early eighties, you know, and reggae, you know, reggae is a hardcore liberation genre, right. But reggae is so seductive in just the way that it pulls you in that people don't even know that they're dancing the black liberation right. until you be like listen you need to listen to the lyrics though right. i can't really understand the lyrics okay well you're gonna have to stop and slow it down right and figure it out you know and but that that kind of facilitated you know a little bit more room you know for me to actually have conversations that felt like they made sense you know for people that were willing to listen but you know honestly when you know it really you know the whole scene kind of blew up when when pe dropped public enemy dropped mm. right you know um hip-hop was was going strong and and hip-hop was progressively starting to you know kind of radicalize people in the sense that you know it was giving you know a more of a hard edge voice to the culture right yeah even if it was just you know what i'm saying you know brothers coming out out of out of new york you know just talking about life as it is it was, you know, it was it was the kind of voice in the culture that was not about making love. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't right. about making love. It wasn't about, you know what I'm saying? You know, all these other things that that people would kind of push off to the side. Um, it was about life as it is. And so but when P.E. dropped, you know, they just brought the message like and, and, and then after that, they opened up the door for everybody else who was sort of waiting in the wings and kind of mm. was like, can we talk about this? Can we not talk about it? You know what I'm saying? And so I would say, you know, it really it shifted and and that shifted the conversation across the board. Right. And so when you come into the 90s, you know, you actually start to have a much broader conversation based on not just what was coming through hip hop, but hip hop, you know, really helped to popularize, you know, the work that a lot of black academics and intellectuals, you know, have been doing for generations. Right. Bringing a lot of that work to the to the forefront, you know, talking, going back to books by George G.M. James, Chancellor Williams. You know what I'm saying? Mary, Mary Baraka. You know, I mean, just all these people, you know what I'm saying? Oh, but Tashaka, I can run the list. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, you know, but bringing all of that intellectual output, you know, and and making it something that people wanted to engage with. Right. You know, and then so in the 90s, you know, the the conversations, you know, in the popular spectrum, you know, just begin to really broaden, you know, and, and, and people were really interested in black liberation. A lot of that had to do with, you know, just the popular idea of blackness, you know, um, being repackaged. I ironically mentioned the Huxtables, but, you know, um, between the Cosby show and a different world, you know, that opened up a whole new concept of what it meant to be black for folks that were not a part of sort of, you know, the Southern, you know, sort of, or Southern and and sort of East Coast, you know, social environments, right? You know, the whole idea of of the HBCUs, you know, a lot of us had not even really, we kind of had heard of certain schools. We knew about Howard, we knew about Tuskegee, we knew about Grambling, 
but to, to really kind of embrace like the whole meta idea of a HBCU as a network of black colleges, places where black people could go and be black and learn. You know what I'm saying? Um, it changed, it changed, changed the whole dynamic. So you have a lot of, uh, I would say there was a bunch of folks from the class of 86, 87, 88, 89, who left Seattle and was like, Boop. Yeah. <laughs> we out, we out. You know what I'm saying? We're about to go see what's happening on the other side of the mountains, right? You know, yeah. so so I, I feel like, you know, just talking about what it's been like, you know, um, when I look at the conversations now that are happening, you know, in, in activist circles and, you know, and these ideas, even just the just the way that we throw around the the phrase white supremacy right mm-hmm. now was not a phrase that black people could willfully utter in polite company. You know what I'm saying? Back then, unless she was just one of them crazy, you know, radical news. Right. right you know, right. Um, but now it's a part of the, 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 the common, you know, discussion about what's happening, you know, in the world. And so I, I see a shift where, you know, and I say this a lot nowadays, you know, it's interesting because all these conversations that we're having now in a very foundational way, the premise is based on black radical thought. Yeah, it's based on black radical thought, the stuff that was marginalized and isolated to the edges of the black community and black movements, you know, has now taken center stage and is informing the way that everybody talks about the way that the world is is operating today. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. You know, I, I I agree. I mean, just my gosh, your answers are phenomenal. And yeah, and I, I agree 100%. I think this is why every time, like in every iteration of what progress looks like, you have to actually really press for it, right? So I didn't grow up talking about equity, right? It, it just, it wasn't it. It was like, well, equality was what, you know, we understood it to be back then. And now we understand equity is something very different where we're talking about, no, it's not you seeing me as just an equal, but I need to have the equity that that you have been able to be afforded, right? And so that means ownership. ownership. That means really understanding that now you get a smaller slice of pie because it's not the pie gets split 50-50. No, equity means how much of the pie do I need to make up for all of the pies I did not eat, right? Mm-hmm. I did not get to be served to me. That is really where, where we're at at this point. And I think that I love you know, some folks say, well, you know, is that the radical side? I just think it's now the real side. Like you're saying, it's become so much more normalized because people like yourself and others continue to press. People before you were pressing in the ways that they could. And it does take, you know, time. I remember you and I were speaking uh, once and you said, you know, look, well, you know, we, we're going to continue to fight for reparations, even if we never see it in our lifetime. Right. But it's it's the fact that what we're doing now sets a press for what it's going to look like in the future and for where people can experience, you know, all of this in, in kind of the future. So it doesn't matter if I don't see it right now in my lifetime, I'm still going to press. So, so much of it is that, and I love that you shaped it up based in, you know, hip hop theory and like folks being able to understand that that was such a integral piece to all of this in terms of awakening our conscious about, wait a minute, like, Hey, this is what I can be doing. I need to collectively be doing stuff instead of just trying to be a part of whatever this system and society is. Right. So it's, it's really interesting. You know, I, I think about this often in that when we think about 
what we're setting the foundation for right now and what it really means. I want to ask you this because I'm experiencing something in this paradigm that I feel like didn't really exist before. And that's a term that I'm calling kind of the awakeners, right? When we think about equity work, it isn't just on the backs of Black people, right? When we're thinking about Black liberation, so much of this is about the entire world waking up to the fact that, you know, how Blackness is treated globally needs to change and needs to stop. And and I just want to ask you how your perspective of, I'm kind of deeming them the awakeners, right? Folks would call them allies back in the day, you know, whatever, if they're, if they're non-black people that are saying, no, I'm saying the same thing you're saying, because I understand the importance of all of us waking up to these truths and learning from them and educating our peers, our family members, our neighbors, whoever on these things, you know, breaking down that monotony of white supremacy and of anti-Blackness. So it's like this holistic approach. How are you kind of seeing that unfold in some of the work that you do and in some of the, the, the discussions you're having now? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. So I talked about, I was recruited by Michael Wu to help to found God Green as an actual organization, right? So we did that work. And then Michael Wu, who was already, you know, had had a lifetime of of organizing and activist work, was really interested in creating a a leadership pipeline right out the gate. He's like, listen, I'm starting this organization. I'm old. I'm not trying to, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to take it to the next level. Right. And so we, you know, he brought in within a a few years, Jill Mangaliman, you know, who's uh, Filipino. Right. And really took Jill under his wings to be the, the next ED. And Jill was a young organizer, right? And when I say a young organizer, I don't think Jill had a real organizing background much before it got green, mm-hmm. you know? But what Michael recognized was that Jill had an acuity for community work and, and a passion, right? So, and I bring that up because I actually want to focus on Jill, right? I'm like, okay, when I think about allies, you know, I, I, I think about Jill in the sense that, you know, God Green is focused on environmental justice, right? And so the definition of that has been expanding, right, and evolving over the past few years. But Jill is also very much involved in in liberation work that's connected to her homeland in the Philippines, right? You know, so we know there's a real strong anti-Black sentiment in, in many of the colonial nations around the world, right? You know, because white folks seeded their ideologies wherever they landed. And, and, and it was all about a hierarchy of races, you know, and, and a lot of times about a hierarchy of, of skin tones, right? And so the furthest away you you were from from white, you know, the lower you were on, on the social and economic and political hierarchy, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think about Jill challenging um, the status quo in the Philippines, you know, the way that Jill has brought Doc Green into this larger conversation about this global just transition movement, which is about disrupting our entire conceptual framework of white supremacy, right? Starting with indigenous communities, right? And working outward, not starting with, you know, pointing our finger and yelling at white folks, but starting with ourselves and and working outwards. And, you know, at the heart of that work, you know, is challenging the notion of white supremacy. And at the heart of white supremacy, at the very heart of white supremacy, at the very absolute heart of white supremacy is anti-Blackness, right? Mm -hmm. White supremacy is built, the entire framework is found is its foundation is built around anti-blackness, right? 
you know, and I, you know, obviously I think there are a lot of reasons Well, I say, obviously might not be so obvious for some people, you know, we also have to understand that African people actually, you know, in, throughout history have colonized and, and ruled various parts of Europe, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, when we talk about the psychological impacts of, of white folks, you know, <laughs> you know, having a backlash and what that looks like in the modern world, you know, you have to understand that there's a long history of global interactions, you know, but also, you know, when you look at how vehemently white folks, you know, work to deconstruct the notion of black humanity, you know, in every place that they go around the world, every single place, right? Um, so, you know, there's this whole conversation around, you know, deconstructing white supremacy. There are a lot of folks in indigenous communities around the world, and I use indigeneity as a as a global, you know, framework for people who are rooted in a place where their ancestors have been you know, for millennia, right? There are people who are challenging that, challenging that and, and working to de- deconstruct, you know, those those frameworks. And so I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, really for me, it's important to see how it works on a global basis, right? Because that's how we have to, to come at this issue, right? The issues that we're confronting here in Seattle, the issues we're confronting in Washington State, the issues that we're con- confronting in, in America, in the United States of America are all things that as black people and, and for those of us, you know, those other folks who are here, you know, um, we can be an allyship to, to figure out how to do it and be in conversation around those things. But ultimately, the power that resides here in America is supported by the American empire and the global hegemony. Right. And so you have to disrupt all of those centers of power around the world, you know, in order to make the center much more malleable for us to do the work that we need to do here. Right. So I think, you know, for me, it's important when people, particularly folks who are here in the United States, they recognize what the game is about and they start looking at where the root is in in their communities. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's the same thing I say with white folks. I'm like, listen, you know, uh, I appreciate you being an ally, but honestly, as an ally, I don't need to see your face. In fact, I need for not to see your face. I need you to go back to, you know, sit down in the rooms with your crazy cousins, right? Yeah. And stay there, actually stay there. <laughs> like actually that's the, where the work actually is. I know yes. you don't want to be there. If I was you, I probably wouldn't want to be there either. <laughs> but that's not that's not the world we're living in. You know what I'm saying? Listen, as a black person, I don't get time out for racism. So right. then neither should you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to get time out from racism by leaving Iowa and coming to Seattle and then hanging out in the South here. Right. You know, I'm like, come on, really? You know, right. you're not actually not doing us any favors, you know, right. by doing that. So I think it's it is interesting when you see movements, you know, such as, you know, Asians for anti, you know, against anti-blackness. You know, I think those those movements and those vocal and visible movements are important. Um, I think, you know, what's even more important is how do how do those movements take root in Hong Kong mm-hmm. or Shanghai? You know what I'm saying? Or Beijing, you know, or Tokyo. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, how do they take root in in New Delhi? You know, um, how do they take root in all these other places around the world? Because these are people that come to America and they're either going to support the status quo or they're going to not support the status. In America, you really there's actually no you. It's a binary situation. You're either down with the game or you're pushing up against the game. This really not set up to be do one thing or the other. Right. To do anything in between. So. So 
it's important that when people land here, that they have a framework for, for how this country is constructed and, you know, and how these things operate. So I don't know. I think, you know, that's kind of a, a roundabout way of, of really talking about, you know, and, you know, allyship and, and anti-blackness. But I, I, you know, I tend to take a, you know, a global view of these things because, because uh, that's where it matters for me. Oh my gosh. Snaps and snaps all day because it matters for me in that regard so much. Our, our first season of Equity Rising was literally speaking to people across the globe, right? It was like, you know, we had a lot of folks that were from the U.S., but we we made sure we made some real connections outside of the U.S. to see how people are, you know, thinking about equity, building equity in their, in their communities, right, outside of the U.S. And you're just right about it that you know, I say it all the time. If you allow bigotry and racism to persist in your presence, then you're actually a part of the issue, right? And 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 when we have more people waking up to the fact that, wait a minute, like, I, I don't just get to call, oh, that's just my grandma. She's always been that way. Or that's just Uncle Joe. You, you know, I know he's going to be this way. You know, when we go to Thanksgiving, kids don't really listen to him, you know, right? Instead of being like, you know what, Uncle Joe, let me show you a couple things that are really going to, you know, transform the way that you see this. Let me actually bring you into some of the knowledge that I gained. You know, I went to some some events. I learned some things. I want to share that with you. I think so much of it is that. And really a lot of this work happens in the nuance, right? It happens in those conversations. It happens in, you know, the water cooler chats in the corporate sector, right? It's like, you you know, if you're still, you know, uh, laughing at the jokes that are sent to you when they have racial bias in them, you're part of the issue, right? Instead of being like, guys, this this really isn't funny or isn't cool no more, right? um, You have to be able to be that, uh, that person that is willing to embrace, I think, the uncomfortability of it all, because it isn't comfortable. And I love how you said that. Like, I don't get to choose. So you shouldn't either. I I just think that it's, I agree 100%. And I think this is laying the foundation. We've been, there's been so much foundation laid before us, as Dr. Mims always says to me, look, you've been paid for. She goes, Trayana, you've been paid for. So don't, you know what I mean? So at this point, like you, yeah, you get to go off the rails a little bit. You're going to, if, if they considered it radical 50 years ago, the way that we're approaching certain things, I can tell you this much, an elder such as Dr. Mims in her nineties is saying, I love how you guys are doing it, right? I love that you're doing it unapologetically that you're like, look, we're going to just take over the street. We're just going to take over the park. We're just going to be out here protesting. We're just going to have to be out here in the streets. And she's like, oh my God, brilliant. You know, right. But I also think too, that something that really strikes me is hearing from our elders. And I want to ask you, because I know you're just plugged in. You were talking about coming from this uh, amazing family of Black liberation. And as you do your work at Wanawari, you know, you guys have been very intentional about what it is you're doing, who you're doing it for, and why it's so important. What are some of the things that you really want the audience to know about the work of Wanawari outside of India Wakoma? Because it's now becoming such an amazing community staple and really providing opportunities for Black people to learn about the importance of home ownership, but also the blending of creativity in our spaces and creating cultural hubs. Yeah. So, you know, I would say the thing I 
So we, you know, we we talk about Wanawari as the house that fights displacement with art. I may have mentioned that earlier. I think it's important, you know, when people come to party with us, when they come to see art, you know what I'm saying? When they come to make art, I think it's important for people to know that they're actively involved in co-creating a land reclamation movement, mm. right? You know, like you're actively, like Wanawari is an open source project. When I say that, I'm saying that, yeah, we, we, set up the space, but the source code is open. So what that means is that, you know, um, and, and I don't know if people really understand this, but, you know, I would say up to 60, maybe 80% of the stuff that we do is initiated by community, mm. right? You know what I'm saying? You know, we have an amazing, you know, curator and, and facilitator in, you know, in, in the form of Elizabeth Johnson, you know, and, and Soma, you know, Ayers, yeah. right? You know, uh, but in a lot of ways, you know, they are facilitating community vision. Right. And that for me, that's important for people to know. Right. Because, you know, it's kind of just it's a way of saying, you know, in the words of, of oh, I'm taking it way back to old school 1980s hip hop. Teela Rock, it's yours. Right. <laughs> it, 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 it's yours. So, but, you know, but I think that's for me, that's the most important thing. And, and inside of that, you know, there's a myriad of things that we're doing from our um, Black Spatial Histories Institute, which trains you know folks to go out into the community and collect, archive, and present oral histories of the Black experience in Seattle. To our Case Twenty One, the Central Area Cultural Ecosystem, you know, which we you know have been taking our you know our our sweet and dedicated time you know to build you know an organizing and data collection infrastructure. And we just finished seven folks to be you know bona fide data collection folks in the community who will be nice. conducting our surveys and and leading communicate community members you know specifically black homeowners and cultural workers gradually into this idea of being land use experts and and advocates for uh, changing land use policies we're in along you know alongside one another at the same time being able to reimagine you know black homes as as dynamic places where activism cultural activities cooking dinner and making love <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah, sleeping yeah. happens all under the same roof right yeah. you know um so you know i mean we're looking at re reframing you know a lot of our assumptions about how we exist in the world outside of the framework of, of white supremacy right you know i mean the notion that i'm operate off of is the notion that you know that black folks intrinsically use you know in our communities when we were together physically you know i have the benefit of a, a dual perspective you know you know when i when i you know go to visit you know my my father's you know side of the family you know what I'm saying? And and witness, you know, how society is constructed there. There are some very strong parallels, you know, in um, the ways that spaces are used, the way that 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 cities and towns are, are you know, or especially the older, like the older towns, you know, mm-hmm. are laid out. You know what I'm saying? You know, laid out according to family groups. You know what I'm saying? Family groups that that operate as many corporations, economic engines. And so and that that, you know, that relationships, you can enter into a relationship as an economic enterprise and that that relationship can evolve into a, a filial, familial, you know, um, relationship over the course of generations, right? And so, um, and then the way that the, t- the space is, is, is organized, you know, reflects that, you know, so for me, I'm like, yeah, we, you know, it's all open source, you know, we can tap into all of this, 
you know what I'm saying, and and reimagine our situation right here, right now, and start to activate new things. And I think Wanda Warrior for us is is an embodiment, which is of course the reason why we chose to give it a Kalabari name, you know, a a, a, mm. a Southern Nigerian name, you know, as a way of evoking, you know what I'm saying, that way of doing things in West Africa and recognizing that it is the way that, you know, we have been doing it here um, that has not been su suppressed in our spirit, even after 500 years, you know, of, of living under white supremacy, you know, we still bring these, these essences out into the world. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, you know, this is this is why I I you know I tell the crew for Equity Rising how much I enjoy this product, right? I do a lot of different production things and I really enjoy hearing from folks that have such a amazing wide-ranging perspectives of what this looks like. And I think capturing this in, in a podcast way really allows for the audience to hear the clarity of, you know, where you're coming from specifically. And Wanawari has just been doing amazing things. I love hearing you say that so much of it is coming from such a community-centric approach. Like these are folks in the community realizing this is a cultural hub, even that connection of it being open source and being like, this is, you know, open source code. Like, you know, hey, we're not Apple, you know, right? right yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we ain't got no lock on your, D right. ain't got no DMRs or DRMs on your, on your stuff. Listen, if you want right. to copy it and replicate it, go for it. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, uh, thinking about it like that because I think so much of what has held us back when I think about equity work and I think about it from a historical perspective is exactly what we talk about in Black organizing all the time, which is, you know, I got to hold on to this. This was my baby. This is, you know, oh, I can't pass the torch because I still got to be able to receive the credit for whenever it blows up, from whenever it makes sense, from whenever it's acceptable by, you know, whatever you consider the dominant pieces of society. And that that ideology is really, I think, has been detrimental to us, right? And when I think about equity right now, we need to be able to allow all of that to be, you know, swept away because we really need clarity of thought as we move forward and really bring about the opportunities for all of us to experience what actual equity is, right? And, and so I love that. I think we need more and more of the Wanawaris of the world, right? That are understanding, you know, the, the need and feeling a void in community to be like, no, nah, this is what we're focusing on. And you guys have some amazing programs and projects. You guys were just doing like pop-ups the, the, over the weekend, showcasing yeah, businesses. Yeah. What are some of the things you guys have maybe coming up in the pipeline that people can uh, can can learn from, experience? What are some of the things you guys have Man, going see, on? Now, now you're going to embarrass me because we got so much <laughs> stuff going on. I can't keep, I'll be honest. This is real talk. I can't keep track. track and, and, I, and some days, I'm like, man. How did I know that, that that wasn't going on, right? But then I'd be like, but you know what? That's actually a good thing. That means that the work is doing what it needs to do. Yeah. It's not relying on me to be at the center of nothing, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, oh, you got... Oh, I walk out my house. So what y'all do? Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> you know. So, well, but, that's but, a beautiful but, thing. Well, you know. So, so interestingly enough, yes, we we had a we have a weekend vendors market that was initiated in fact it was initiated by my mother right you know mm -hmm. it was her idea because she you know she had been dealing in in antiques and collectibles 
collectibles for the past 20 years and 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 obviously COVID has shut a lot of that down and you know and so she was you know really looking for an opportunity really honestly for her she's just trying to get rid of inventory just and some stuff she honestly some stuff she brings she sets it up she's like if I sell it fine if I don't sell it I'm gonna try to give it away before I, before wow. I leave yeah. but that you know but she's just like listen I just want people to have you know, some of the stuff is really good. Yeah. I want people to have it, right? Um, but then it's expanded to include, you know, obviously other vendors and, and other people. And and so I think that's the the nature of, of what we're doing, you know, over here is, is people say, I have an idea, sure. And then other people are like, I like that idea. And then, you know, and then it grows. So so that's going on. Um, I, I think I think Omi's Sunday services may be starting up again. Nice. Um, we have a new exhibit. That is opening the first of the month. So a whole new round of artists have a new installation, backyard installation that will be under construction sometime by late August. So the backyard will be transformed into like an artistic sort of seating presentation area. So it would be like a sort of an outdoor installation art, but uh, with a lot of utility. We've got our ongoing artists and residency programs happening in, in 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 the house right now. We have Amber Flame, who's our current artist in residence, and her her residency will be ending at the end of the month. And then uh, Natasha Marin will be uh, starting her residency. So those those are some of the things. You know, we have you know folks who are always eager to be here at Wanawari that sort of pop up on the schedule. You know, whenever they have the ability. Uh, Blue Meadow, who's a who's a, a black and indigenous. A blues uh, rock musician um, loves performing at Wanawari and is always looking for opportunity. He was here on Juneteenth um, doing a set and will always show up, you know, uh, whenever, you know, he has a, a window opportunity to be here. And then, you know, we, we you know, you just kind of have to watch our calendar. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, Alicia was always planning, you know, really, you know, provocative and interesting artist talks and lectures and and digital sort of digital you know, art performances, you know, things that I would never conceive of, you know, I mean, COVID didn't slow her down like one bit. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm like, yo, I looked up and she was like, oh, we got, you know, and it was like, it's all these people from all over the country. He's like, I got an artist from Harlem. I got an artist from Portland. I got an artist from here. I got this person, that person, people doing lectures and and, and art performances all on Zoom, right? You know, all using the Zoom platform. You know, so you can expect to just to see a continuation of, you know, the innovation of digital spaces, you know, coming through Wanawari and, and really building our creative network into a, a, a national, international community of, of Black creative thinkers. So, I, I, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, if I was to go back, you know, to your first question, how I take care of myself, you know, I mean, Wanawari is a lot of work, but honestly, Wanawari feeds my soul. I'll be honest with you, you know, and as much work as it is, I don't think that I could have survived living in the CD, you know, with all the changes, if it wasn't for Wanawari, you know what I'm saying? You know, I I think, you know, I'm doing the, doing the work, you know, even though it is in response to the displacement of our community, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Doing the work that, that invites our community back is the, is the thing that is giving me life. So. Oh my gosh. Ashe, Ashe. Uh, I am over here just like beaming right now because that is just a beautiful way of putting it. And if folks want to, you know, learn more, uh, where do they go? Where's the website? Yeah. So wanawari.org is our website. Wanawari Seattle is our Instagram and Wanawari is, is us on Facebook. We're super easy to find. 
yeah, so you know, just ping us on a, you know on our on our any of our social platforms, or you know, check out our website. All the good stuff is there. Yep. Oh, and I want to watch Seattle on on YouTube. Yeah, go to so if you go to YouTube, if you go to our YouTube channel, our want to YouTube channel, you'll actually see an archive of all the amazing things that Alicia will programmed over the past year use, wow. using the digital platform. So don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on the opportunity to to catch up with all the stuff I know y'all missed. Oh my goodness. This has been so phenomenal to sit down uh, virtually with you like this and really dive in to who you are, your history, how important your family has been to the legacy of the Central District. I mean, you have just been really doing the work out here, my friend, and I am so elated to be in community with you. You're an amazing equity change maker, uh, regardless, right? Black liberation. I saw it on the pit from a young boy, you know what RBG was all about. And clearly you have continued that. And I get the pleasure of working with your daughter, who is amazing. Mm, Tame Wakoma takes on the lessons that you have instilled in her very beautifully. Um, Mm -hmm. Just thank you for your time with us today on Equity Rising. You are, you know, such an inspiration to me. You got to know that. And I was holding back the tears, my friend, this whole time, because everything you're saying is just fire and it was lighting me up today. Thank you so much so much. Well, thank you. I just want to say, listen, you're not like the youth to me, but you're a little bit younger than me, yeah. right? <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm i loving, I'm loving watching young people do, do all the amazing things these days. You know, I'm loving the work that's happening with Casey and I'm loving what's going on, what's popping with Converge Media. You know what I'm saying? Listen, even with all the strife and the beef and the weef and the dot, yeah. the boop, the beep, the wop, wop, the, you know, I can name some names, you know, who are the fights be popping off in the streets. But, you know, we all, but, you know, everybody's trying to do a thing. You know what I'm saying? We just got to love each other through it all. You know what I'm saying? And so I just want to say the feeling's mutual. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, you. young people give me life, right? Um, and and so I'm, you know, and teach me how to be a better artist. So I'm yearning to learn how to be a better artist by watching young people create art and young people create communities. So, yeah. oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That means the world coming from you uh, because I know that you mean it. You've always uh, shown up as such a genuine person and I am very grateful, very grateful that our audience gets the opportunity to learn more about Inye Wakoma, Wanawari, and what it really means to be an equity change maker right here in, you know, in the heart of the Central District, which really was such an amazing, thriving Black community and is continuing to be an amazing, thriving Black community by the work of folks like yourself, Inye. Thank you again for being on this show today. And you guys, check out wanawari.org. Clearly, there is so much going on. If you're looking for a amazing opportunities to be involved and engaged in art and and what it looks like to blend art and activism, you can definitely step up to the plate at Wanawari and amazing things now going on as things are opening up. You guys are having some amazing pop-ups. So there's plenty of ways to connect with Wanawari. Thank you again, Inye. We'll see you on the next one, man. You're you're amazing. We're going to have to do this again. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. Much love. Much love. All right.